0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 11. We're continuing in our study of the book of John. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed someone to come through for you and they didn't? Have you ever been in a situation when you were counting on someone who could do something for you that you couldn't do and they didn't come through, at least not in your mind? Well, that happens a lot, doesn't it? And, you know, before anyone's like self-righteous, like, yeah, I we do that. We've, I've let people down, too, right? Haven't you? Brian, have you? No, Brian has never let anyone down. Mm. You might want to clear out from there. You know, especially like when you go through the drive through Can I get a witness? You know, drive, I don't know when drive throughs has got to be popular, But back in the 70s and early 80s, I don't remember us going through the drive-thru. Our family went inside and sat down. But we're in a culture now that's so busy that, you know, even coffee has a drive-thru, right? But you go to the drive-thru, and it's like, Welcome, can I take your order? Do you want number five in the car? (laughs) Nah, nah. Uh, And so you make your order. You go through. This is the worst, especially when you're in a hurry. You don't even check your order. You pay for it. You get it. Then you get on the road, and what happens? They didn't put a straw in your bag, and you ordered a milkshake. And you've got to drive to where you're going, or there's no mayonnaise or ketchup. Now, look, if you're having a hamburger, if I'm having a hamburger and there's no ketchup and mayonnaise, I'm not having a hamburger. You've got to have those elements. And you know what you're thinking about that person, that drive through Persecution. They're out to get me. I knew it. But you can't go back because you don't have time, right? Well, you know, it's one thing when we are let down by someone that we don't know. It can be costly and it can be painful, but what about when it's someone that you know? Someone that you know cares about you and you care about them. What about when that person is God? Now, I'm saying it appears that he lets you down. Where do we go then? Because when we are let down, our hearts often cry out, God, I thought you loved me. That's the title of our message today. God, I thought you cared. Where are you? Or maybe you're here today going, where were you? There's something that happened back here that you needed God for, and in your mind, he wasn't there. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? I don't know, but that's what our passage is about today. I'm excited about this morning's passage, and if you're taking notes, I'm really excited because this passage is about how God's love and his glory work together for our good. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. I've got three gospel truths I want to share. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you that you are always here. There is nowhere that we can go that you are not. And to your children, that is wonderful news. But Lord, as we sang this morning, sometimes darkness veils that truth in our hearts and in our minds. And that may be true for some of us this morning. And so I'm asking that, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do in our midst. That you would open our eyes. That you would convince us once again of the wonderful love that God has for us through Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first gospel truth that I want to share with us this morning is sometimes God's love is completely confusing. Let's look at our text in John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus heard it. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In verse 5, it says, John says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus, and you know what? I love this family. This is my favorite family in the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This family has my favorite disciple of all times, Mary. I love Mary because she always, at least in, this, in these passages, always seems to get it right when it comes to Jesus. I love her heart. And you know, there is an account back in Luke 10 where Mary and Martha are having a dinner at their house. I don't know if it's the one that's going to be talked about in chapter 12 in a little bit, but they have this dinner going on. And what's Martha doing? She's buzzing around, busy, busy, busy. So much that's got to be done. Busy, bu- Have we got any busy Marthas in here? We need Marthas, okay? This, is, this passage is not saying always sit down, okay? But we need Marthas in here. But where is Mary? sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets really, she thinks she's the one doing the right thing. She goes, Jesus, tell her to get up and, and help me. And what does Jesus say? No, you're wrong. She has chosen the good part. And you know, in verse two today, it says that it, says that it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, in a couple of weeks, Pastor Terry is going to be, uh, Lord willing, going to be preaching from chapter 12. This is a reference to chapter 12, verse 1 and following, where Mary, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, her brother, Mary goes and gets a bottle of perfume, very expensive, and she basically takes it, and out of worship and gratitude, she crushes it and pours her life savings on the feet of Jesus in a spirit of worship and thanksgiving. This is the perfect picture of what it looks like when we get what Jesus has done for us. That's what Mary is responding to what Jesus didn't tell her to do that. She did it because she was filled with worship for what Jesus had done for her. And in these first five verses, John is setting a, a picture. He's setting a scene. He's wanting to make it clear that we understand that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It's important that we understand this if we're going to understand the entire the entire passage this morning. But it's very clear that Jesus loves them and they love him. We know this because uh, in verse 3, Jesus... Um, Mary says, Lord, he whom you love. He whom you love. She doesn't say Lazarus, whom you love. She thinks he's going to know who I'm talking about. They must have been really close and tight. And if that's not clear enough that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Very clear. We've got to get this. We've got to understand that Jesus loves them if we are going to get the rest of this passage. So let's look at verse six now. It says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he, all right, let's stop right there. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he, my kids always say I do this, stop, you know, when I'm preaching, they always mock me at home. So here we go, stop. (laughs) What if, in your thinking, what should follow this He, up here. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he, in my mind, it should be that he dropped everything he had, packed his bags, if he had any, and gone back to Judea. Or he could have, better yet, he could have just spoken like he did in chapter 4 when the official's son was dying. He just speaks and heals him. Now, that's what my mind says. That's what I would think. You know, if I could heal somebody and I love them and I heard they were dying, I would go straight to them, but that's not what Jesus does. Let's look at verse 6. Again, the entire verse. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't go. He didn't show up. And you know what? To me, maybe this is just me, but to me this is completely confusing when it comes to what I understand love to be. You know, and I want to make it clear that I'm wrong, that he that, 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 that that is my view, but I'm wrong. Jesus knows what he's doing. In Isaiah 55:8, 8, it says, God tells me, my thoughts are not your thoughts, James. Neither are my ways your ways. I'm God, declares the Lord. But in my human thinking, and sometimes I think I know better than God, which when I think that, I'm thinking wrongly. But in my thinking, for him to stay two more days to make sure that Lazarus dies does not sound like the kind of love that I understand in my human mind. And I sometimes wonder about the disciples. What would it have been like to be one of his disciples? I think sometimes following Jesus when they were here on earth was completely confusing. Even in this passage, I'm going to show you some things in here. In this passage right here, it's really confusing because in verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. Now, we know the end of the story, or most of us do. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, okay? But we, they don't know this when, this when they're hearing this. And Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. In my mind, that means he's not going to die. Is, is that what you guys hear? All right, well, let's look at verse seven. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, remember last week, Jesus was in Judea and they had picked up stones to kill him. It says, so he left Judea to get away from them. And now he's going, a few days later, he's going, "Uh, let's go back to Judea. Now the disciples are thinking, he's not gonna die, right? You just told me in verse four that he's not going to die. That doesn't make sense. In verse eight, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? They're saying nothing's changed. Why are we going back? And in verse nine, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? What that is confusing. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Okay, yeah. But why are we going back? I know that there's 12 hours in the day. I think that Jesus is is telling them, my time is short. My 12 hours are coming to an end. When it's dark, I will not be here. So I've got to go back and to finish the work, that the Father has given me to accomplish. Verse 11 says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend, Lazarus. Our friend, Lazarus. Notice he says, friend. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? Is that being a friend? If you, you know, have a flat tire on the side of the road, And you call me, and I'm a mile away, and I can help you, and I don't? Would you call me your friend? That's kind of confusing, but Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. There it is again. They're like, Lord, if Lazarus is sick, he needs to sleep, so why would we go and wake him up? Verse, verse 13, Jesus said, he had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And I can just see Jesus going, okay, Lazarus is dead. That's what he basically goes. In for. Okay, I was trying to be, you know, poetic, and you're not going to let me. Verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so they're thinking, okay, we're going back to Judea. And so Thomas, who's often known as the doubter, called the twin, he must have had a twin brother, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Once again, they don't get it. They're with Jesus. They're not going to die. But they are bold. Completely bold confusing. Amen? You guys getting this? This is completely confusing if you don't know the end of the story. But I love these guys. I love these disciples because I can really relate to them. Most of the time, I don't get it either until it's past, until I see the end of things. I rarely see it. But there's one thing that they have set in their hearts. Okay, we don't get what you're saying, but we're not leaving you. Just because we don't get it. Just because it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not leaving you. Why? Because in John chapter six, at the end of the chapter, Peter says, Who else would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. They have experienced Jesus in such a way that it don't matter that he don't make sense right now. They know in time it will make sense. And that's why they don't leave him. But there's something even greater than that. Not not just that they won't leave him, but he will never leave them. And eventually they are going to get it. But we need to understand that there are times disciples... Sheep of Jesus, listen up. There are times in our lives when we will not get it. Well, maybe it's there's times we will get it, but most of the time we will not get it. What God is doing in the moment. And that's where we've got to have faith in Him. So the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that number one, God's love is sometimes completely confused. There we go, completely confused. That's confusing to me. Number two, sometimes God's love is purposefully. Painful, purposefully painful. Let's look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So a lot of people have heard about the death of Lazarus. This is a public event. Verse 20, it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother Will rise again. And I, again, I think it's easy for us to read this passage and totally miss the grief and pain that Mary and Martha and the family were experiencing in this trial. We need to keep in mind that they didn't know what Jesus was going to do. So, what do you think that their desire was? Their desire was that Jesus would hear their message that their brother was sick and that he would come and heal him before he died. So in their minds at this point, Jesus has not come through for them. That's why at the beginning of this message I asked, have you ever been in a situation where you needed God to come through for you? And in your mind, he didn't. Well, that's what's going on in this passage right now. You can feel it in, in, Mary's, in Martha's response. If you had been here, but you know what? You weren't. And therefore, my brother is dead. I believe that there really is questioning in her heart. Next week, we're going to look at why I believe that. But she is, I believe she's like me Or you, she is struggling with Jesus' decision. She isn't doing, he he didn't do what she wanted him to do. And, And can you imagine Martha and Mary waiting for Jesus? Now, Lazarus gets sick. Jesus had just been there a few days earlier, so he must not have been sick at all. And in just a short amount of time, he gets sick. And it must have been violent. To die that quickly, it had to have been something violent upon him. Throwing up, heaving, sickness. They're calling for Jesus. Okay, we know Jesus loves us. We love him. We'll call for him. He's coming. Is he here yet? No. He's coming. He loves us. Is he here yet? No. But we know he's coming because he loves us. How long did they wait? They kept looking out the window, waiting for Jesus to come through. And then Lazarus breathes his last. What went through their minds at that point about their Savior? Because Jesus never came. Verse 6 shows us that he purposefully didn't come. He purposefully allowed Lazarus to die. We need To see that. And this expression of love, this is an expression of love, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sure it didn't make sense to them and that it caused great pain. Death always does. But we need to understand that when Jesus allows purposeful pain in our life, It isn't because he's sadistic or that he's randomly letting things happen to us. He doesn't enjoy watching us in pain. That is not the purpose of our pain. We need to understand something, church, that when we are in trials, when we are in pain, and it doesn't feel like Jesus is coming through, we need to understand that he is doing something. He is at work doing something that we cannot see. I love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, next to Jesus Christ, I think he might have been one of the most uh, acquainted with grief and pain. He went through a lot of, of horrible things that none of us can even imagine. But here's what he says about these afflictions. He says, these are light, momentary afflictions that are preparing us that are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, these momentary afflictions, whatever that affliction is in your life right now, that that thing that you wish wasn't there, that you can't do anything about in your own power, that light momentary affliction is preparing you for eternal glory. There's something happening in you now, and there's something happening that you won't see until you get to eternity. That's what Paul is teaching, and that's what this passage is teaching. And it doesn't mean that we don't struggle, guys. It doesn't mean we just, you know, say cliché terms like, I can't even think of one right now. God's got this, or uh, I don't know, I can't... What's the one about holding the future? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Things like that. I'm not saying don't ever say that, but sometimes that's not what we're really saying in our hearts. Right? A lot of times we're like, Lord, where are you? And I believe that if we're in the right spirit, it is okay to go to God and cry that out in the midst of our affliction. Lord, are you there? Lord, do you see me? Don't you care? what's happening? Lord, where are you? And you know, this is my temptation. I want you guys to know that this is my temptation. It's, it's one that I have to walk through at times in my life. And I know in my head, I know in my head that Jesus loves me. We talk about this every week. We know he loves us because of the cross. There's no question. But there's times that this, it's just up here. It's not down here. It's truth, but it's not truth that's alive in my heart. And I have to continually be renewed in that truth. Many times, his love for me is completely confusing and purposefully painful. There's times that, you know, Lord, I want want this right here. I want you to do this but you've given me this. I didn't want this. I didn't expect this, and I definitely didn't ask for this. I wanted that, but you gave me this, and to be honest, Lord, I don't like this. I've been crying out to you, Lord, but you're not, in my mind, you're not coming to me. My brother is dying. I thought you loved me. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Well, if you're there right now, and you will be there if you're not there now, you will be at some point if you continue to live. But I've learned in my life, I've discovered in my life, when I begin to question God's love for me, it's usually because I have a different definition of love than what God has. My definition of love has three H's in it. God, if you love me, you will keep me healthy. You will make me happy and you'll let me live high off the hog. (laughs) That's my love language. You speak to me like that, I'll know you love me. Because I know that you can do anything. Lord, my love language is let me live in paradise now. But we must see that man's definition and God's definition are not the same. Man says, love is giving me everything I want now. And unfortunately, many of us parent that way. Giving our children everything they want. We're trying to give our children everything they want. Have you guys ever heard of the comedian Steve Harvey? Mm. Well he said something just recently that I thought was, was very um, spot on. He said, when did we start negotiating with kids? I was like, I, amen. He said, when did we start negotiating with kids? Honey, are you ready to go to bed to a three-year-old? Are you ready to go to bed? No, you're not, why not? Why aren't you re-? He's He's like, what? When I was growing up, you didn't ask Dad why. Amen, J.C. Amen. Honey, do you want to eat this? Really? Honey, are you ready to go home? Really? Who's the parent, right? Why did God give children parents? Because our children do not know what's best for them. Do you understand that? He put us parents, I know this this passage is not about parenting, and I've gotten off on a rabbit trail, but I'm going to finish it. He put us parents in our children's lives to teach them what they need. And God is a good, good father, and he knows that we don't know what we need. And you know what? I think sometimes he says, you know what? I didn't ask. Because I know if I asked, you'd say you want to stay up till three in the morning. You need to go to bed because I'm the parent. Now, he does that in love. He understands what love is. And I love John Piper's definition of love. He says, love is giving someone what they need the most. Love is giving someone what they need the most. And often we don't know what we need. It's kind of like Garth Brooks. Sometimes I thank God. What? For unanswered prayers. Because God knows what his children need best. And he wants what's best for his children, God's love, number one, is completely confusing at times. Number two, is purposefully painful. And number three, God's love is God-glorifying. Now, this is the key to this whole passage right now. Verse 4 has the key to this passage. I'm going to read that again. But when Jesus heard it, when he heard what? When he heard that Lazarus was ill... He said, this illness does not lead to death. And here's the key. Why did God allow Lazarus to die? Here's the answer. It is for the glory of God so that the Son may be glorified through it. That is the key. Listen, that is the key to understanding God's love. Notice he says, this illness is for whose glory? My glory? Their glory? No, it is for the glory of God so that Jesus may be glorified. That, listen, that is love. That God be glorified in our lives. Because what we need, listen, what we need more than anything Listen, basketball players, what we need more than getting buckets. Listen, single people, what you need more than a bow. Ooh, that ain't even in my notes, y'all. I'm going to start, okay. Who else is out here? More than anything, write this down, you don't have to, but more than anything, we need to see and experience God's glory, not our own. That's the problem, isn't it? We try to make a name for ourselves. You wonder why, we wonder why our lives are miserable miserable at times. It's when I try to make a name for myself. I wasn't made to be. To seek my own glory, I was made to seek his. That is why God wants us to know his glory, no matter what the cost, and the truth is, this is why, this is why many people, most people will not come to Jesus, truly come to Jesus. That's why the Jews want to kill him, Because Jesus is saying, it's my glory, not yours. They don't like that. This is why most people today do not want to come to Jesus. Because they don't want him to be glorified above them. That's in all of our hearts. But if we are going to come to Jesus, listen, if you truly, this is the true gospel here. If you're truly going to come to Jesus, what you have to understand is that we are coming on his terms, not ours. We don't make the terms. He didn't ask us what what we thought. He gave us what we needed, okay? And he says that if you're going to come to me, you've got to take the life that I've given you. It's his life anyway. But he says, take your life and lay it at my feet and say, my life is no longer mine. I give it to you, Lord. Do with me whatever you will, even if it wrecks my life. I'm not telling you what to do with my life. You're telling me what to do with my life that you may be glorified. That is the heart cry of a redeemed heart. That is the heart cry of someone who has truly come to the end of themselves and seen they need a savior. And it is not here in me and it's no one out here. It's you, Lord, and I come to you and I lay my life at your feet. And that is the cry of a heart that has been touched by Jesus. No longer me be glorified, but that you might be glorified. And Lord Jesus, I am not de- I'm not denying that I wanted this. I'm not denying that, but you've given me this. Therefore, I will die to this. Listen, are you at a place where you've told Jesus that? And I don't mean just with your lips, but with your heart. Lord, I'm not telling you what to do in my life. I'm going to tell you the truth. Boy, I would love for you to do this. Why can we do this? How do I know we can do this? Because in the garden, when Jesus is praying, he doesn't want to go to the cross. I know that that sounds so heretical to some of us, but he says, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross if there's any other way. But not my will, but yours be done. He comes to the point where he says, you know what, this is what I want. I want to live, I want to reign, I want to be the Messiah if I can do it without going to the cross. And God's like, well, you can't. He says, okay, then I will do it. He set the example for us of what it really looks like to walk in his glory. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to give your life to Jesus with that type of Permission, if it, as it were, because he's not going to force himself upon us. Singles, if, if God said, you know, I want to get married, I want to have kids and a house, and God's like, actually, my plan for you in this life is to be single the rest of your life. <laughs> Those married... Or, Lord, I want a healthy body. The older I get, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes the Lord's, okay. No, this is what you have. The rest of my life, the rest of your life. Do I still believe you love me? That's the question. Do I still believe he loves me? And, you know, Jesus could have healed Lazarus. And I'm sure that if he had, Martha and Mary would have praised God and they would have sent Jesus a thank you letter or or texted him. Thank you for what you did. But he let him die. And guess what happens? They end up, instead of sending a letter, they have a party. They have a celebration. And listen, there is nobody sitting at that table. We'll find out in, in... Two weeks. There's nobody sitting at that table. Martha and Mary and Lazarus aren't going, Jesus, why did you do that? They're, that's not even in their mind. They're like, I'm so glad you did that. Glory to you. And they are rejo- They're doing what they were created to do, and that is to worship Jesus in what he has brought them through, what he has allowed to come upon them. That which did not make sense, that which was purposefully painful has brought glory to God. And everybody at that table is rejoicing except for one person. And that is Judas because he did not believe. He didn't believe. And that's what Jesus says. If you're going to see my glory, you got to believe. You got to believe. In me. And we need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over that, look, look around you. This is not the kingdom. Praise God it's not. But we want to make it the kingdom, don't we? There's something in us that, that wants to make our kingdom now. And Jesus says, this isn't it yet. And the truth is, it's a battle. It's a battle to the end. It's a battle for all of us. And if you're looking around, going, "Well, you know, it's probably not a battle for that person or them." Steve Cassell, man, he's got it all together. Look at him. He's not even smiling. That, those types of things. We look at other people and think, "Man, they got it easy." No, no. Mm-mm. We all have to fight to walk by faith, and it's easy to praise God when the sun is shining, when my wallet is fat and my stomach is full. But it requires faith to praise God when everything's going wrong in my life. But you know what? That's what pleases God. When we trust him, when everything around us is telling us something else. And I believe that some of us this morning are waiting for the Lord right now. You're waiting for him to come through in something. And you feel like, maybe you feel like God has forgotten you or that he's let you down. You thought he was going to do this, but he's not doing it. Uh, you may feel like you're in a prison Any of you ever been like that? I I have been. I'm, I'm like that on a regular basis, to be honest with you. Sometimes it feels like I'm walking through quicksand, like I can barely even move. And in those moments, we're tempted to ask or say to God, I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. God, where are you? My brother is dying. My brother is dying. I need you to come through And we need to hear Jesus say, your brother will rise again. We need to hear him say that. And I hope you're hearing him say that this morning because unlike Martha and Mary, we already know the end of the story. See, they don't even know about the cross yet. (laughs) They don't know about the resurrection. But we have a confidence Those of us who have come to Jesus, we have a confidence that Jesus loves us because he died for us. And so we never need to say, I thought you loved me. Never. Now, we need to be reminded that he loves us and have the Holy Spirit refresh that in us. But when you begin to question, does God love me? We always go to the cross. And because his death proved that he is not dead, that he is alive, we can actually go to a living Savior. And so in our trials and in our distress, we don't need to send a messenger to Jesus. We can go straight to him. We don't have to hope that our message is getting to him. We can go straight to him. And if you are crying out to Jesus, and if you're not, I encourage you to, but if you're crying out to Jesus, I want you to be confident that he has gotten the message He knows about your situation. He is at work. Listen, he is at work in your situation. Even though you don't feel like it, he is faithful and he's not forgotten you. You've got to believe the truth. And I want to encourage you, don't throw away your faith. Because in time, you will glorify God and praise him in what he has done. You will not be disappointed. Listen, you will not be disappointed. Garen He never disappoints his children in the end. Be encouraged that he will come. You will rejoice. But while you're waiting, while you are waiting for Jesus, learn to praise him. Learn to praise him before he comes. Just like the song we sang this morning, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Blessed be the name. Jesus is faithful. Don't throw away your faith. He will come. You will rejoice. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.